This morning we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and let's read together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Twenty years ago, we began our church by looking at Acts chapter 2 as our model concluding that from this chapter there were principles that we felt a healthy church should adopt and proceed upon uh, going forward. And the first of those principles was that the church needed to be a spirit-led church. Secondly, the church needed to engage its current culture. Thirdly, as we looked at and concluded last week, the church needed to be an evangelistic church, being willing to take the gospel out into the world to their friends, family members, and anyone who would listen about the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we concluded last week, we discovered that after Peter gave this incredible evangelistic sermon as he was filled with the Spirit to do so, 3,000 people were added to the church. 3,000 souls, 3,000 individuals got saved that day, and the church went from 120 to 3,120 people in one message. That's what you call church growth. That's an incredible move of the Spirit showing that the Spirit working can grow the church. I believe that accurate church growth is when an individual comes out of the world and into the body of Christ, and then we can say the church has grown. Today, many call church growth simple displacement, where one Christian will leave one church and go to another church, and then that church will boast that they are growing. Well, they may be growing numerically, but the body of Christ itself hasn't grown numerically. And the early church seemed to be more concerned about the growth numerically into the body of Christ, considering it the church. And so 3,000 people were added to the church that day after Peter's sermon. The question is then, what do you do going forward with those people? Uh, How do you uh, handle them? How do you administer it to them? How do you uh, proceed with them? And in Acts 42, 2.42, we find four things that they did as they were gathered together that I think are four necessary components to a healthy worship service of any church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. One of the 
translation um, characteristics of the ESV translation, they, they like to use a lot of definite articles, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but basically, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. So when they were gathered together as this newly formed church, they took time to listen to the apostles' teachings. They fellowshiped with one another. They broke bread, which is here meaning of communion. They remembered Christ in communion. And they took time to pray together. Now, this new body of Christ would meet anywhere possible. It'd be in the court of the temple, or it could be in a home of one of the individuals. But wherever they were at, wherever they gathered together, they took time in the apostles' teaching, they took time in fellowship, they took time in the breaking of bread, and they took time in prayer. Four components, I believe, of any healthy church. The word devoted there means that they place high priority on these things. That it was an essential part of their gathering. They uh, made sure to uh, do these things when they were together. They devoted themselves to it willingly. They felt that these were of high priority, of high importance. The word also contains within its definition that they did so against possible persistent opposition. Meaning it wasn't easy to continue in these things, but yet they did so anyway. There was opposition to their gathering. There was opposition to their continuing in the teachings of the apostles, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer. It was sometimes difficult to do so, and yes, they, and, and yet they persisted to do so, continuing in these things together. And as a result, you see how God worked through this new established church in a dynamic way. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at each one of these four components, beginning with the apostles' teaching today. And I think all of us here at Calvary Chapel understand the importance of biblical teaching. We feel that it's a cornerstone of the ministry here at our church. We feel that it's a uh, component that is uh, absolutely necessary for the health of the church. But the question then is posed to the individual receiving the teaching in what do I do with it then? What is the purpose of the teaching and why do we feel it's so important? How is it then manifested and played out in the health of the church? That's what we're going to be exploring today. Because I do feel that there's a, a new disconnect that is happening amongst Christians today because the objective of the church is not the objective of the individual who is coming to church. And so the church is going one way, but the individual is going another way. And I think that's something to be considered in our conversation this morning. The apostles' teaching meant just that. The apostles, speaking of the twelve apostles those who were close to Jesus, those three years of his ministry, they, the new church would listen to their articulation and their teaching of Jesus in which they received that we now have contained in the Gospels. 
So as the apostles would remind people and teach people and instruct people in those things that Jesus instructed them within, they are now simply passing it on to these new people. They would also then offer new insight to the Old Testament. For the New Testament, of course, hasn't yet begun to be written. So when we talk about Scripture in the book of Acts, when we talk about God's Word in the book of Acts, we have to relate that to the Old Testament. That's what they had at that time. So the apostles would give insight to the Old Testament through the teachings of Jesus Christ and the person of Christ and the new covenant established through Christ. And they would teach these new believers, grounding them in the truth and placing a high uh, priority upon that um, doctrinal foundation in which is being laid and presented by the apostles at that time. So there was great respect for the, repo- uh, the apostles. People would listen in earnest to what they had to say. In the power of the Spirit, they taught this newly founded church all the things that they had learned from Jesus bringing them into the Old Testament and showing how Jesus fulfilled so many of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Showing what's going to happen going forward and so forth. That emphasis on teaching never changed as the New Testament developed. If we now look at Paul for a moment who took the gospel to the Gentile regions of the world at that time, When he would establish churches, he would put a high emphasis on teaching. Let me just give you a few verses that you can write down and look at for yourself. Colossians 1.28, Paul wrote to them and he says, Him we proclaim, speaking of Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul knew that there was a parallel between the maturity of the believer and the teaching that they received. Now, we're going to define maturity for you in a moment. But he saw that it was a necessary component of the mature believer was a healthy teaching church. When he set Timothy over the church there in Ephesus in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16... He instructed Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. When Titus was placed over the church, there in the area of Crete, he, Paul wrote to him, but as for you, teach what accords or is in unity with sound doctrine. This element of teaching is a necessity in any healthy church, and it contributes to the health of the individual and the maturity of the individual within the church. How then do we receive the apostles' doctrine today? Obviously, we don't have Paul as a guest speaker. Wouldn't that be awesome? Or Peter or John. Unfortunately, you're stuck with me. But that being said, how do we receive the Apostles' Doctrine today? Well, obviously we find it within the Word of God. 
the Bible that you have on your lap is the Word of God. And Paul stated in verse uh, 3.16 of 2 Timothy, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the apostles' doctrine is now contained in the Bible. Their experience with Jesus is contained in the Gospels. What they did with uh, the Spirit after Jesus' ascension is found in the book of Acts. We have Paul's writing that brings the Gospel into Gentile regions that do not have the foundation of Judaism behind them in his epistles. We find clarity in the epistles of the general epistles of Peter and John and James and so forth uh, concerning the Old Testament and so forth and how the new Jews were uh, being brought into this new covenant and so forth in uh, Jesus Christ. And so all of the apostles' doctrine, everything that we need for our teaching is contained in the Word of God. As one wrote, the Bible is profitable for doctrine or teaching. It sets forth the mind of God with regards to such themes as the Trinity, angels, man, sin, salvation, sanctification, the church, and future events. So now that we see this importance, what is the end game to the teaching of the church? Is it simply to accumulate intellectual knowledge? Well, the Bible gives us a warning that knowledge alone has the potential of puffing one up and bringing them into pride, which is just the opposite of the characteristic of Christ of humility. There is a danger in intellectualism alone. We're seeing that danger play out today in our world and in our culture. So what then is the purpose of the teaching? And this is where I want to focus our time on this morning because I think it is so important that we are reminded of this truth. Bringing our church to the same page and the same understanding of why we do what we do, when we do it, and how we do it. Let us explore this question, what is the purpose of this teaching? Let me give you an example. Remember when you were in high school and you were sitting in your first algebra class and the teacher began to present the theorems of algebra and so forth and the very first thing that you uh, probably uh, concluded was, when in the world am I ever going to use this in the world? Do you remember saying something like that? I think we all did at one time or another in one class or another whether it be history, whether it be mathematics and so forth and calculus and algebra and geometry, etc. Or it be a biology class. We concluded in our wisdom as 15-year-olds that this information would have absolutely no impact upon our lives whatsoever. What do I need this for? Now again, at 15, knowing everything about everything, right? Concluding that there's nothing new that we could possibly learn. We had the attitude of, why am I even doing this? Why am I sitting through this? 
Why is this even relevant for my life today? However, maybe as a sophomore you felt that way, or a freshman you felt that way, as a junior you felt that way, as a senior you may now look back at things a little differently. Because now you are interested in going to higher education, college, and now you see that for your college entrance, there were certain classes that were needed that you are now being tested upon to give yourself a better placement within college, and now there's some value to those classes that you wrote off initially, right? And then in your development, and maybe once you get into college, you understand that, okay, well, I'm interested in possibly becoming a doctor. Now that biology class that you wrote off has all the importance in the world because now you're paying to take that class over again because you didn't listen the first time. Or maybe you decide to be an architect or an engineer or a scientist And mathematical theorems now make complete sense to you and you want to discover all the mysteries of uh, mathematic conundrums and so forth and you want to pursue this at MIT or wherever you want to go and all of a sudden you're like, boy, I wish I would have listened in that algebra class. Or maybe you see now that our nation has become bilingual in many cases and you wish, oh, so you wished you listened in Spanish but now, oh, how, how valuable it would be to be able to speak Spanish now. And the job opportunities that present themselves if you were bilingual. So often, as believers in Jesus Christ, we come to church, unfortunately, with that exact same mindset. How is this relevant to me today? And do you know that that mindset, unfortunately, has kept many Christians from attending church faithfully? I just don't believe that the biblical teaching is relevant for me today. Well, that word relevant is very subjective. It can mean many different things to many different people. But often what they're saying is that it doesn't apply to where I am at right now. Not considering that the teaching may be preparing you for something in the future. For example, I remember sitting at church and our pastor was going through a marriage series. And I was a single young man at that time. And I was, I was bored to tears. I was like, you know, get to Revelation. Yeah, let's, let's get to Jesus. Let's get to, you know, Paul's epistles where he's rebuking people and so forth. Marriage? Really? But now, looking back at that, I'm so glad I was exposed to that teaching because it did assist me greatly in my marriage currently today. It was preparing me for something that was still yet to come. When we dismiss the teaching of the Word of God as irrelevant, we are saying that it doesn't have any impact upon us. It doesn't matter, and then we become indifferent to what is being said. But Paul made it clear what the purpose of the teaching of the Word of God was to do. He outlines for me as your pastor very clearly what my objective is through the teaching of the Word of God. There's no ambiguity. The Bible spells it out clearly for me, and this is my objective each and every Sunday. That objective is found in your Word in Ephesians chapter 4, if you'll turn there with me. Ephesians 
In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teach- and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That is my mandate. The, the, uh, the position in which I hold that God has given me as your pastor was given to me, and my teaching, therefore, should equip you to fulfill the ministry in which God has called you to. So when I teach the Bible, that is my objective, is to equip you to fulfill the ministry that God has called you to. Now again, I'd like to bring to your attention another um, textual issue. I I don't know why the ESV uh, renders it this way. Uh, The apostles, the uh, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Again, they have this... uh, this love affair with definite articles, um, it should be read in the Greek, and it was he who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors, teachers. Uh, It's very clear. I don't know why they went this way with it. But it means, on the other hand, on one hand he gave apostles, on the other hand he gave uh, prophets, on the other hand he gave evangelists, and some pastors and some teachers, etc., I don't want to look at all those offices today, but let us find the objective that is mentioned for us, and that is the equipping of the saints to fulfill the work of the ministry. That word equipping means three things. It means to mend, it means to prepare, and it means to restore. That's what the word equip means. So in the teaching of the Word of God, each and every time we come together, I am looking to equip you, and that is to mend, to prepare, and to restore. For the word equip is found other places in the New Testament that give us those multifaceted dimensions of the word. For example, Matthew 4.21, and going on from there, he saw the other brothers, James and the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending, it's the same Greek word, their nets, and he called them. In Galatians 6, 1, we find, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That word restore there is the same Greek word. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So mending. It is repairing. It is fixing. It is preparing you to fulfill the work of the ministry. Restoring you. The teaching of the Word of God should restore you back to the image of Jesus Christ that you were originally created within. How does that happen? Through the teaching of the Word of God, accompanied then or met by the Spirit of God that is within you, He takes the Word of God that is the Spirit and He works from inside of you through you in a process called sanctification. And that sanctification is, is the taking you out of the form of the, that the world has distorted you into through its conformity to the world and back transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. And this should be the threefold element of the teaching of the Word of God. Now, 
thank the Lord that he has built this in to his word. So I just have to appropriately and accurately teach it, and the Spirit does the work within you. It's an, it's an incredible thing to see as the Word of God works in us to produce the Christ-likeness that God desires to see in and through us. But it doesn't end there. What is the fulfillment of this ministry? It means service. This is how you serve God in the light of Christ serving you and going to the cross on your behalf. I equip you then to fulfill the work of the ministry, and that equipping then has its end game in the next phrase of our text, for the building up the body of Christ. It is not me alone who builds up the body of Christ through the teaching of the Word of God. It's me equipping you with the Word of God, mending, preparing, and restoring through the teaching of the Word of God that then equips you to, you yourself, participate in the building up of the body of Christ. Does that make sense? We are equipping you to fulfill the ministry God has called you to in the body, that the whole body might be built up as a result of it. This is why I do not believe that there is a ministry position called a spectator. I believe everybody is actively involved in some manner in the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. Now that building up is a construction of three points, as Paul will say. Look with me in your text. Until, verse 13, we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is he saying? Number one, through the building up of the body of Christ, unity is gained. That unity is gained by each of us uh, proceeding in our walks in pure faith and in the pure knowledge of the Son of God. A unity is then produced amongst the body of Christ, which then leads to maturity. This maturity is the building up of the body of Christ to think and to act like a mature man. That's what it means there in our text. And thirdly, that Christ-likeness, the body of Christ coming into perfect perfect Christ-likeness and acting like Christ would. What do I mean by this? Well, let's remember that when Jesus ascended, he set forth his church to go forward. He being the head of the church in heaven, we being his body here on this earth. And what he wants us to do as his church is to represent him as if he were still here with us on the earth. That's the purpose of the building up of the saints. And it's not just my responsibility to teach you and to build you up. It is you fulfilling the ministry God has called you to within the body of Christ that contributes to this edification. That contributes to the edification of the entire body of Christ. And as further elements of this 
maturing. Notice what he says as we continue on in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. This maturity will then cause us to know right from wrong, false from true. We will then not get sidetracked by false doctrines entering into the church. And there are false doctrines entering into the church constantly and consistently. But being prepared in the gospel, in the true word of God, we then can recognize the true from the false. As we teach you the truth of the word of God, you therefore are then equipped to recognize the false that comes across your personal path and you don't have to go down that road. It's a simple principle used in our own government. When initially the Secret Service Department was going to train their investigators to look for counterfeit bills, they realized that there were so many different counterfeit bills that trying to have their officers remember each and every flaw and detail of those counterfeit bills would be impossible. So they came up with the idea, hey, let's train them to recognize the true dollar bill so thoroughly that once a false dollar bill came across their path, they would spot it immediately. They would recognize that it was fake and that it wasn't real because they knew the true dollar bill so well, so thoroughly. That's what we hope to do for you by teaching you the truth through the Word of God when false doctrine comes that is contrary to Scripture You then can identify it, see it as it truly is, and therefore you do not have to participate in it, and you're not tossed to and fro. That word there is a a nautical term. It is is used by a boat that isn't anchored and simply subjected to the movement of the waves of the sea. And if you've ever been out on Lake Michigan in a boat that isn't anchored, you understand completely what it means to be subjected to the waves. And the next thing you know, you've placed your boat in one particular place, but after a short period of time even, you discover that you're far off from your, from your uh, initial position. And that's what Paul's saying here. I don't want you to be far off from your, the truth of the Word of God. I want you to know and be able to discern for yourself the Word of God and any falsehood that may come across. Grown up, look at with me here in verse 14. Verse 15, I should say, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Jesus, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held and by every joint with its, which is its equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So my purpose of sharing this with you today is that the reason that we teach you in the manner that we do is to equip you, that is to mend, to prepare, and to restore you for the ministry that God has for you, that you may then contribute to the building up of the body of Christ in its totality, 
and that we would be a healthy body because of that, coming into unity, maturity, and Christ-likeness together as a body of Christ, no longer being tossed to and fro for every false wind of doctrine, but growing up in every way. There is a lot of talk of unity in the body of Christ today, and they are trying to decide the best manner in which to accomplish that unification. Unfortunately, the accomplishment of unification has uh, taken on the necessity of compromising core biblical facts to create that unity. The Bible says that we should be unified not based on our compromise, but based on maturity, all being of one in the faith. And so as we teach each and every Sunday, each and every Wednesday, that's what we look to occur, that unification through maturity. Now, let's go back to our original premise about it not being relative. Though this is our mission here at church, here at Calvary Chapel Cardinal, I find now that people are coming to church for different reasons. They are not as interested in fulfilling a ministry in which they believe God is calling them to. In fact, we have heard, I have heard personally from individuals that their purpose and reason for going to church was as this, to meet friends and to socialize, to experience personal growth, and the last one, to make me happy. Now, if we have individuals coming with those ideas, that this is what church should meet them with, simply with friends, simple personal growth alone, and simply to be happy, they are going to feel um, excluded from the teaching in which we are giving and probably conclude that it is what? It's irrelevant. So your mindset coming into church plays a big part in how well or how much, how rich the service is actually for you. To equip you for the ministry that you may bless others and equip others is going to take on a different perspective than you coming to be happy to meet friends or just for personal growth. So you can understand the difficulty that some may have and some then may conclude that church is irrelevant. No, we're, our objective is here and your objective is here and we're never going to meet because they are two completely different categories. One is self and one is selfless. Now, I'll let you chew on that for a moment, but I'm going to uh, bring you to a couple warnings. Listen to this. This is Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. I hold to the fact maybe Paul did. Listen to what he writes in Hebrews chapter 5, 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by consistent practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's be honest. 
the manner in which we have appeased our culture in the process of education in many cases is to lower the bar. And as a result, we have just that, lowered the bar, the standard. And some are finding now that even after going through high school, they are, they're ill-equipped to get into college. As we've lowered the bar in so many different ways, the church now has been pressured to lower the bar also. I don't want to do that to you. I don't want to dumb it down for you. I have too much respect for you to do that. Because I believe any one of you are capable of understanding the Word of God in its pure integrity. I don't want to dumb it down to simply meet one of the felt needs that you have come with. I don't dismiss those needs. But God has a way of ministering to those needs so often in such a different way if we would just allow Him to do so. For example, I can't tell you the number of people who have struggled just feeling a little depressed, feeling a little disconnected, feeling a little bit uh, excluded from things. When they uh, were apart from church, they get in church and they're hoping that God's going to meet them in some way. And yet their mere interaction with the congregation and hearing about others going through other difficulties and, and then beginning to minister to them rather than worrying about their own lifts them out of that pit of despair, of that pit of dis- depression as they get their eyes off of themselves and on to someone else to allow God to lift it up, to allow God to work in that way. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. I want you to read these words with me. Paul the Apostle is in Ephesus. He is just about to leave. He is leaving the elders there of Ephesus. And listen to what he says to them, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord, with all humility, with all tears, with all trials that happened uh, to me through the plots of the Jews." How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of the repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there." except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await for me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course, the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, the elders in which he is speaking to, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after themselves, or after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish every one of you with tears, and now I command you, uh, commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by the working hard in this way we must help the weak and the rem- remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because the words that he had spoken, that he would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul warns them, be careful. I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. And after I leave, individuals will come in and try to sow discord, try to sow false teaching, try to stumble you. Even amongst yourself as elders, there will be some who will try to draw disciples away from themselves. This is how urgent Paul felt this and to say this. Because he later writes to Timothy in his last letter, This young man who is now pastoring over the church of Ephesus, he writes these words, and I will read them to you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What a warning that in the last days, Times would come where people no longer desire to hear the sound teaching of the Word of God, but would want their simple ears tickled. Hearing what they want to hear, uh, desiring to hear what they want to hear, I should say, rather than what they need to hear. I will tell you that if we continue to try to conform Christianity into something that is all about self, then we are going to destroy Christianity at its foundation. Christianity is selfless in its understanding. It's not about us. It's about Him and Him working through us, ministering to one another, allowing others to be more important to us than our own selves, 
and allowing the betterment of them for the exaltation of Christ within the mature body, within the healthy body, within the built up body, within the glorified body that he has set us in place to be while he is gone until his return. This is why we teach you in the manner in which we do, to equip you to be those ministers unto one another, that the whole body may benefit from your ministry. That again, we might be that body that perfectly represents Christ in his absence, empowered by the Holy Spirit, continuing those things that he started here on this earth 2,000 years ago and will come and uh, resume when he returns in his second coming. That's why we teach you what we teach you. And that's why they continued in the apostles' doctrine devoted to the teaching.